Local voices, local conversations. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us once again here at NapaBroadcasting.com. Certainly of all the races that we're going to be seeing next year here locally, perhaps the most contentious is going to be the race for second district supervisor. There already are probably about four people that are going to be in that race. We've talked to a couple of them. We're joined right now by Derek Anderson, who has run for office before. He ran for city council. This time around, he's running for second district supervisor. And it is my pleasure to welcome him here to NapaBroadcasting.com. Derek, thanks so much for coming in. Great. Thank you, Jeff. And uh, I'm glad to be here and, uh, and be able to talk to all your listeners. Well, it's great to have you here. First of all, let's talk a little bit about, uh, because people may not remember from uh, the last time we talked, just a little bit about your background. You're, you know, a relative newcomer here. And right. I always hate that phrase. But, you know, you've lived here less than 10 years. So I guess we'll qualify you as a newcomer. Talk a little bit about what brought you here and a little bit of your background. Yeah, so uh, real easily, I mean, I, I grew up on the East Coast. Uh, I'm in technology for most of my career. I spent a lot of time out, uh, out here, uh, really starting about 20 years ago. And uh, actually, it's funny because I was uh, out here in 96 uh, working as a CTO for a company down in, uh, in Silicon Valley. And I was probably the only CTO at the time to move away from Silicon Valley back to the East Coast and uh, kind of missed my opportunity to uh, become a multimillionaire at that time and, and be re- well retired by now. But that's a long story. Now, short. how did you make that bad decision? <laughs> yeah, now, so, this, this could reflect right. on your exactly. eligibility. Yeah. No, no. Well, you know, the whole thing was it was all about how expensive it was at the time to live here. And, you know, it's gotten much more expensive since then. But uh, it was all about housing prices, which I'm very sensitive to how hard it is to to live in an area that is so beautiful and wonderful. But it's exorbitantly expensive. I was able to move back east and save a fortune. Well, you know, the the people always say that if, you know, if you're living in California— in you know in the past few years and you move out of california the odds are you're not getting back in that's right that's right well unfortunately when i was here before i was i was renting and so i really hadn't bought into the marketplace when we came back you know we decided oh my god we really love it out here this is really where mm-hmm. we need to be being in tech i wanted to be closer to uh, to the the silicon valley area but napa we came here two three times a year for 15 years and every single time we came it was do we really have to go home so we're one of those bloody tourists that don't want to leave, right? And and, and so we, we, we worked at it for a number of years to figure out how to get here because there's no jobs here that would allow me really to, to work in Napa. I wasn't a wine guy. Right. So there wasn't an economy that supported me coming. So it took a lot of effort to figure out how to get here. But thank God we finally did, and we were finally able to save up enough money to buy into the marketplace. But, you know, it's interesting coming from that perspective and being an outsider. You know, I've run companies all around the world and have lived in different places and i bring a very different perspective i think to napa where i bring kind of this outsider's view of how utopian and great napa is today i mean people complain a lot about napa in different parts of it and whether Mm -hmm. it's the traffic or it's the wineries or it's this or that i look at it and think this is heaven i was driving down in mola today on my way over here thinking my god this is a beautiful place and all i'm doing is going to home depot you know, it was it was great. And so this is why we're here. This is what we decided. We I mean, the other part of it with respect to housing prices, with respect to, to traffic, with respect to all of it, is that Napa is significantly less trafficked than most of the other nine Bay Area Absolutely. counties. And in terms of housing prices of the nine Bay Area counties, I think we're number seven. I mean, we're near the bottom of the list yeah, in, ter- in terms of housing prices. Absolutely. We looked at, you know, I, again, being in tech, I moved to San Jose first. We moved there about six years ago. And, you know, we looked and we looked at buying a house down there and we said, this is absolutely impossible. So we just on a whim, we're up here one weekend because it's where we came all the time. And we're like, my God, we can actually afford to live in, in Napa. 
How is that possible? None of my friends around the country, around the world, can believe it's po it's possible to afford right. to live in them. Now it's difficult. I mean, by the rest of the world standards, it's very expensive here. But by Silicon but Valley, but it's, it's cheaper than San Jose. Yep. It's cheaper than Marin. It's cheaper than Half. you know any place in Silicon Valley. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's more beautiful. Mm -hmm. And what is it that made you want to get involved in? elect run for elective office and get involved in some of these issues that we're going to talk about yeah you know i think that the the easiest thing to think about is i'm just i'm a concerned parent you know at the end of the day i've got a 14 year old son who loves napa who wants to live here for the rest of his life he already informs us on a on a monthly basis how this is his house and not ours and we're just staying there temporarily until he takes it over you know and and so i'm concerned about how he's going to inherit napa what it's going to look like you know 30 years from now and I look at it from my perspective historically with other communities. You know, I grew up in Detroit in the heyday of Detroit when it was doing great, right? And the problem was there was no economic diversification. And you look what happened to the economy there over the years and what's turned into that. And I'm not suggesting that that's a possibility for Napa. I, I certainly hope so. But that's what I'm trying to make sure doesn't happen. I think that there's a lot of things that we have that are really great here today. Well, the other – I mean, I think that there's a broader analogy with respect to Detroit, and it's jumping ahead a little bit in terms of some of the issues that I, I think that you want to talk about. But the other analogy is Detroit – didn't do a very good job of staying ahead of or on top of, at the very least, how the auto business was changing. And the right. business, whether it was imports from, from Japan or Germany or Korea or anywhere else, the auto business and how people viewed their car and the relationship with it, it just passed them by. Mm -hmm. And nothing in the industry or the city or anything else took that into account. Arguably, when we talk about the issues here, one of the things that we know is the entire model of how wine is sold and marketed has changed dramatically. Yeah, you know, the thing is, in Detroit, and I was, I was young when I was there, but the folks there took it for granted. We're always going to have this revenue stream. We own cars. Nobody can make cars like we do. Uh, and, and the economy was built around that. And, you know, I look at, again, back to Napa and the future of Napa and my son inheriting you know, all of this and wanting to live here. I want to make sure that this is the, still the same place that we fell in love with. And I have that experience from the outside and seeing where things go wrong. And I want to make sure that we don't make those same mistakes and follow in those same footsteps. Now, many of the people that say that, and, and others have said it in this very studio, you know, I want to make sure that Napa stays Napa, whatever that means, are, are some of the people that have argued the most strenuously to, to limit you know, winery growth, limit visitors, you know, to limit, 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 to, to continue to regulate in, in a pretty dramatic way. Yeah, well, unfortunately, you know, staying Napa means different things to different folks, I guess. And to me, staying Napa means this is the wine capital of the world. And we are a wine-based economy. We have beautiful agriculture. We have the ag preserve. We have a great fundamental place to be. We're close to major cities and so forth. But it's unrealistic to believe that we're going to be the Napa of 1950. It's going to continue to grow. Every place, in Cal you go anywhere in California or anywhere in the world, the population has doubled, right? In, in my lifetime, at least, it's doubled. And it continues to grow and grow and grow. It's not realistic to think that we can be in a 1950s mentality. Particularly places that are attractive or that are urban. <laughs> I mean, urban places are obviously growing. Rural is, is depopulating. But places that people want to be are all growing. Absolutely. And they get more expensive. It's supply and demand, right? I mean, but, but at the same time, how do we preserve that character and make sure that I, you know, I moved here for the wineries. That's why I, I'm here. How do we make sure that we have beautiful uh, wineries up through the valley? We make sure that the wineries are successful. 
So to me, staying and keeping and preserving Napa is keeping the Napa we have today, not the Napa of 50 years ago. When you look at the Board of Supervisors today, and when I, we don't have to talk about any specific individuals or your opponents or anything else, what do you see that the board is doing wrong or doing right in terms of the way it's managing Napa County? You know, I think that what I see of the electeds in general in Napa, and, and not just even the Board of Supervisors, but city and, and, and elsewhere, is I see a lot of folks that have gotten complacent with the way things are and what they're doing. And they've been in office many years, many of them. And as you know, you know from previous discussions, I mean, I'm very much a, a pro-term limit guy. And I think that over time, you lose sight and new ideas and new ways to invigorate the economy, invigorate the county. And you become complacent. You sit in any job for more than eight or 10 years, it's going to be a problem. And I think that what has happened in that is that they have put together a scenario by which everything ends up being a debate. They don't want to make hard decisions because they don't want to upset anybody. I just want to keep being elected. I want to do my thing. I'm very comfortable in my role. And I'm going to continue this pattern of not really making decisions. We'll kick it to a committee. We'll kick it to a consultant. We'll ultimately let a bunch of people talk various angles on it. And maybe we'll, we'll flip flop on our positions. But at the end of the day, we're really a status quo oriented electorate here or elected body here and i think it's time for new 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 ideas strong backbone standing up to people who don't make sense you know you can't necessarily turn a deaf ear to people you certainly don't want to do that you want to listen to all all approaches but then at the end of the day you have to make a decision don't kick it off to staff or kick it off to a uh uh, a consultant, you actually have to make hard decisions sometimes, and you're not going to make everybody happy. What about the argument that the county has continued to be successful and continued to grow, as, as you were acknowledging a few minutes ago, simply because really nobody's messed with it? I mean, the market forces have kind of taken care of things, and, and there's been regulation, and the board has done a lot of things, the county has done a lot of things to, to keep growth in the right ways, in, in, you know, winery growth in the unincorporated areas and other growth in the cities. I mean, and, and by not messing too much, things have gone pretty well up to this point. Well, but you look at this industry, and it, there's more regulation in the winery industry than almost any industry that you can think of. So I would say that the winery industry has done great in Napa in spite of what the, the, the supervisors have done. I mean, the, the regulatory environment here is onerous. I mean, where else do you have a, a industry that's capped on how many customers they can have? I mean, you don't see that in other industries. So the fact that we're messing with them at a P&L level is way beyond what anybody else has to deal with. And I think that the wineries have been very successful, but it's not because of the supervisors. It's in spite of the supervisors. What would you, how would you approach it differently if you were elected? Well, I think that the first thing is that you have to understand that we have an economy that's based upon wineries. We talk about that. Now, I'm also very vocal that we need to diversify that economy. We need something else here. I mean, if you look at our economy and you say everything's winery or tourism, and you say if we have an economic downturn or people stop buying wine or, you know, I'm not a big global warming uh, believer necessarily. I kind of believe that the ebbs and flows, but the temperatures change, the wine growth characteristics are going to change, our wine's going to change. The sharpshooter could come back. There's all sorts of things that could impact our wine industry and impact our economy as a whole if that happens. And so I think that we're very much a one-trick pony, 
and we need to diversify the economy. I think that's critical for my son and the future generations that are going to be here in Napa. That said, we also have to understand that the wineries got us here. The wineries love the environment as much or more than anybody here. That's what they're selling. That's what they're trading mm-hmm. on, and that we need to support them. And I think that the supervisors have done a mediocre job of of kind of being wishy-washy in how they support them. They haven't done a very good job of enforcing rules on a consistent basis. They haven't done a very good job of saying, no, wineries are what we're all about, and standing up to the folks in, in Vision 2050 and others. One of the debates, of course, is, you know, what constitutes, I mean, it goes to the very heart of what constitutes a winery, and to what extent is it about agriculture, and to what extent is it about agriculture and marketing and mm-hmm. events and all the other things that are going to be uh, part of the, that are part of the ongoing debate right now. Yeah, but, you know, it's funny, and, and this is where my outside perspective is a little bit different maybe than some people's. I moved here because of the wineries, right? This is part of why I fell in love with it. I came here, and I ventured out, and I tasted, and I saw, and I experienced everything that was being a tourist in Napa and Sonoma and other places, and I've been other parts of the world wine tasting. Uh, that's why I'm a customer of Napa Wine. If it wasn't for that, I could just as easily be buying Sonoma wine or Lodi wine or wine from Texas, I mean, it really doesn't. I was just in upstate New York. They have some very nice wine. Mm-hmm. Why is it that I became a Napa Valley customer of their wine? Because I was there and I engaged with them. I got to know them personally. I got to know the winemaker. They taught me about wine, and I learned from them. That experience is what is part of our premium brand. You know, what is it that's so special about a BMW or Mercedes? Yes, they have great cars. But it's the service you get with it. It's the maintenance you get. It's the ongoing relationship you build with that brand. Napa is a brand. Our wineries are brands. And we have to support that. And that's why the tourism is is so important to them, is because these are people that are building long-term relationships with the wineries. That's how their economic model has shifted. Otherwise, they're at at, at the mercy of the distributors. And the distributors well, just beat them down. I well, mean, I mean, but and there's not that many of them. That's we right. all know that it went from, uh, you know, well over 100, certainly in the 40, 50 for a long time. And that filter just has gotten down to a, a very few. I yeah. mean, it's really direct sales right that's now. Right. That's right. Well, and, and the distributors, I mean, why do they have any desire to sell a Napa wine over a Lodi wine? Whatever's going to give them the most profit to the distributor not to the winery. We're building brands. We're building relationships with consumers directly, and that's what's so important to our wine business. Why do you think it is that when you have this conversation, and you know, I've sat through countless board meetings and, and, and situations where these issues are debated, that it's almost taboo, and that may overstate the case a little bit, but I think it makes the point, to talk about it in with the crassness of marketing and talking about the branding. I mean, it, people are, are uncomfortable doing that. I don't know. I'm a marketing guy, right? You know, so I run technology companies around the world. And, and, and it's always about getting your message out and, and, and building that brand, building that loyalty. And that's, that's what you have to do. And, and we're doing the same thing. We're competing in an international market here. There's good wine all around the world. Why are we the best? Because we're Napa. Napa's a brand. And, and the vintners have done a great job of building that brand over the years. What do you think the dangers are right now? What do you think that the, the inflection point that we're at in terms of the debates that are taking place, what, what do you think the dangers are for the Valley? You know, I think that, look, I mean, I love the beauty of the Valley, and I love to be able to drive up Valley and see everything that's, that's wonderful about what NAB is today. There is this, this perception that the wineries are bad and the wineries are taking advantage and the wineries are just 
inflicting damage upon our ecosystem. As a matter of fact, I heard somebody say the other day, well, you know what, we need to get rid of the ag preserve and we need to put in an eco preserve. It really needs to be about, about the ecology and not the wine. I'm like, you can't have, so, you know, you made a point earlier that was very interesting. We were talking about the cost of houses, but really look at the price of land. Winery land, half a million an acre. What do you think, you know, residential development land is worth? Oh, it's a lot more. It, mean, it, it's you millions. Know, million one, million millions. two minimum. Right. So what do you think happens if all of a sudden we turn our back on the wineries and we say, you know what, we're going to continue to add more and more regulation. And in adding more and more regulation, we're going to make it harder and harder for you to do business. A, what do you think those those wineries are going to do? They're going to, first off, they're going to say, well, we're getting out of here. Maybe we'll buy our grapes from Napa and we're going to move someplace else and build a brand there. But B, what do you think is going to happen to that land, that beautiful vineyard land today that I can sell for half a million acres, half a million dollars to another winery? Well, as soon as I know that I'm having problems regulatorily, now I'm going to go and I'm going to sell it for $2 million for homes. What do I have to do? I have to get rid of the ag preserve. But as soon as 51% of the wineries figure out that they're better off just selling it off to developers, this becomes condos from here to Calistoga. That's my biggest concern. That's not what I want my son to inherit. I want my son to inherit the winery valley that we are today, the beautiful place that it is. And the only way that you can preserve that is by protecting the wineries and making sure that they have an economic interest in preserving the ag preserve. Does it concern you that when we look at really the bulwark of the economy of the valley, we have wineries certainly culinary, hospitality, I mean, all those things that, that are related to tourism that you were talking about before. And yet, interestingly enough, there's nobody that's on the Board of Supervisors that's in the wine business, the food business, the hospitality business, or the tourism business. It's amazing. I was talking to one of the wineries, I don't know, two months ago, and I was asking them if I could come participate in some of their crush activities and, and kind of going through, you know, all this process and saying, look, I want to come in, I want to learn, I want to, I just mm -hmm. want to be a pair of hands on your line. And this guy, we said, you know what? None of the supervisors have ever done that. Nobody knows. So, yes, it's amazing to me that they don't get involved. And uh, it is who we are. I mean, it would be like saying you have, a, have people running government in Silicon Valley that don't know anything about technology. Or somebody in Detroit who doesn't know anything about cars. How can you do that? And I, I think I, that that's happened. Yeah. It's it, it, happened well, in Detroit. And, and, and look what happens to them. Exactly. So, yes, I mean, it bothers me a lot. And that's why I, while I don't come from a wine industry, I'm spending a lot of time with the wineries, making sure I understand their business as best I possibly can from being an outsider. And yet the, the district that you're running in is a district that comprises primarily the city. Mm hmm Absolutely. Well, and that's where, you know, so much of my focus is around the economy and how we make sure that we've got a strong long-term economy for all of the folks that are in the district. But keep in mind, you know, when you're on the Board of Supervisors, you're one vote in five that are voting for the county as a whole. So the issues you're addressing are countywide issues. It's not just city or, or country. Matter of fact, I don't think that most of our voters care whether you're city or county, what city, what county, where the lines are. They're driving around, and this is all Napa to them. And we have to look at our issues holistically. You know, when you look at these these artificial divides, that's what it is from a from a government perspective. But people don't care. Well, I think that they care that the growth is clustered in the cities. I mean, right. even those that are, are are more progressive in their views, that the growth is taking place in the cities, and that the ag preserve is. Preserved. Right, right, but but they want to think about they think about Napa as as one place. It's not a whole bunch of individual structures or, or government structures.
You haven't been to St. Helena lately. <laughs> well, outside of I that. I think of that as an <laughs> island unto itself. Maybe an island. Completely fenced in. <laughs> you have to have a visa to go there. I think. Yeah, well, I, and I'm not sure that they'll let me have one, a visa. <laughs> Talk a little bit about some of the other issues, I mean, outside of wineries and, and growth, some of the other issues that, that you think are important as well, far as the county is concerned. You know, one of the other big areas that's important to look at is, you know, and, and it ties to the wineries, is, is traffic, right? I mean, we, we have a traffic problem. Uh to the extent that you want to look at it that way. I mean, frankly, again, we talked about it. If you look at other places in the state and the, and the, and the, and the country, traffic's really not a problem here. I mean, I can still get most places in 15 minutes. I mean, so it's not, a, not, not what, uh, what people make it. But there are bottlenecks that are, frankly, self-imposed. We've got some road restrictions. We've got some things going on. Talking about St. Helena, right? St. Helena 29, that is we want to have traffic go through Main Street. So we can't complain that traffic is bottlenecked in, in Main Street. I mean, so there are some practical things we can look at. But until we open up an artery all the way from American Canyon to Calistoga, unless you do something there that is really progressive and maybe a little bit radical for where we are today, nothing's going to change. It's going to be a constant struggle. But we have to look at that. It's, it's a real concern. People have real concerns about traffic, and we have to address those. Of course, when you talk about that, I mean, people will tell you, and traffic experts will tell you, that it really doesn't solve anything, that there's this idea of induced traffic, that if you widen the roads, the congestion will be just as bad in a couple of years. Right. Because there, there's a cost-benefit analysis to how people use roads. Right, right. And, and that's the thing. I mean, and that goes back to my first point, was we really, you know, to the extent that we have a traffic problem, do we really? I mean, there's more people that's going to be there. I think there are things that we can do where we eliminate some of the pinch points and it helps, but it just moves the pinch points. What about some of the issues that have been uh, hotly debated lately, the sire issue and, and, and some of the other things, Napa Pipe, and, and, and where where are you on those? Where would you have been on those had yeah. you been on the Board of Supervisors? So sire, I'm, uh, I believe that they, uh, they own the property. They have uh, the rights to the, uh, the property. It's zoned to allow them to mine it, and they should be able to mine it. I do believe that they have a obligation, maybe not legally, to minimize dust and noise and, and so forth as much as they can to be good neighbors. I think that they should do that. I also think that there's an obligation as far as this goes is once the mining is done, the most important part to me is what's the remediation plan? You know, I have this view in my mind that wouldn't that make a really nice retention pond up there with some nice trees and be planted up beautifully and added to Skyline Park 30 years from now. Again, remember, I'm looking long term. What's this going to look like for my son? Yes, it's a mine today, but it's not always going to be a mine. So that remediation plan is the most important part of SIRE to me. Uh, when you look at Napa Pipe, you know, at this point, I'm just glad that, you know, there's a conclusion to it. <laughs> you know, you know I, I personally think that probably the uh, one of the ideas that I heard uh, that would have been better I like the idea of changing and putting the development where the uh, the expo is now and moving the uh, the fairgrounds down. Right, to, but I mean that was one of those flip yeah. comments that people made at the time. No, I know, I but I mean, to really me it happened. still makes more sense than than what we've got here. But the fact that it's being built, it's going to be interesting to see. I think that there's some uh, some issues about the environmental, and I still I wonder about uh, some of the. Uh, the flooding issues down there and, and things like that. But uh, we'll see what happens. I think that it's uh, it's going to be good. My concern is, though, that all those units are going to be bought up by uh, second homeowners from the city. Right. You know, so that's what's going to happen. But why is that? Let, well, let me ask you, because this has been, this is another issue that, that's always so interesting. Why is that a problem? I mean, the bottom line is that you then have less traffic because those people aren't here all the time, arguably. You have less demand on services. You have less demand on on the school district. I mean, you could go through a whole litany of less demand 
and still have the tax base and the revenue and everything else that comes with it. And I think that's great for the city. It doesn't solve one of the other big problems, though, that people are always talking about is the cost of housing here and the availability of housing. Because the when you look at, for instance, our rental rates, you know, people are talking about how expensive it is to be here. It's all supply and demand, right? If we had more supply, the rates would go down. It's that simple. And if if what we do is we induce more people from the outside to come and buy these as second homes because of the price point, that doesn't help. So while I think it's great from a tax-based perspective, and I have absolutely no problem from a free market perspective that that's what happens with it, people have been sold this thinking that it's going to help with problems that it's not really going to help. Yeah, I mean, there'll be some you know people that live there all the time down there, but I agree with you. I think that There'll potentially be a lot of second homes down there. And so this goes to the the fundamental you know, question you asked a minute ago, which was, what is it that I'm afraid of with a lot of these things that are going on? And that is that I see us as a region paying lip service to fixing problems, but not actually fixing them. We pay lip service to environmental consciousness with APAC, and we say, okay, we're going to do this or that to tweak it out, but it doesn't actually solve the underlying traffic problems or it doesn't solve the underlying environmental problems. We just throw some small half measures at it. We say we're going to build some homes, but we don't build enough. We say we're going to deal with with the streets, but we don't pave enough. So we, we do a lot of half measures to kind of mitigate the circumstance for the moment, but we're not actually solving the root issues. And I'm all about getting down to what are the root problems and solving that. If people don't want wineries to have visitation, why is it? If it's about traffic, let's fix traffic. Let's not worry about visitation. Well, I mean, there's a couple of answers to that, I suppose, that you can comment on. One is that the cost of doing a lot of this is sometimes prohibitive. You talk about road repairs and, you know, building highways and all, you know, that that is a problem throughout the country it's a problem in the state of california as most people know you know to, infrastructure funds are less etc cetera, etc cetera. plus there is less desire today to build new roads you know that there's more desire to look at public transportation to look at other alternatives as opposed to just building more roads at this point. Yeah. Well, and there are certainly real solutions around traffic that can be implemented. I was just using that as one. Right. And the other, the other point, right. just to, I wanted you to comment yeah. on all this, the other point is that in looking at all of this today, there is this need to look at it arguably with a very regional approach, that, that none of it is happening just in Napa. We're a net importer of jobs. We have more people that are coming in here to work that are coming from Solano County and Contra Costa County and wherever, Lake County, wherever right. they're coming from. Right, right. No, absolutely. I mean, these these kind of interconnectivity issues are, are important. And taking cars off the road is a short-term solution that allows us to have an immediate impact, right? If we could get wineries and business owners to do more van pooling and carpooling type of exercises, I mean, this is required, you know, governmentally by the Air Quality District, right? There are some programs that are in place to do that, but it's for employers of 50 or more. Most of our employers have less than 50 employees. So if we can get people to voluntarily do more van pools and carpools and so forth, I think that's great. And I think that the Vintners and the Chamber of Commerce can really help with that. I think that there are things that we're looking at. I'm actually working with some people right now on some technology solutions that will help to mitigate the uh, the traffic from the visitors, actually, and help to manage that. Now, that's the minority of the traffic, right? That's less than 18% of our traffic problem is visitors. Right. But there are solutions that you can bring to, to bear there. People have talked about light rail. There's a lot of things we can do. But let's look at the core issue, right? And I don't know that I have a have a corner. I don't even try and have a corner on, on the market for, for what the answers are. Mm-hmm. But let's look at the real issues. Let's not use the red herrings of 
you know, oh, we have to reduce visitation because we're, we're really afraid of his traffic. Or, you know, we need to uh, we need to stop Sire because we're afraid of dust. Well, let's fix what the underlying issue is. We're afraid of dust. You know, it's it, let's not be knee-jerk in our reaction mm-hmm. and, and look for real solutions. And, yes, those real solutions are much more difficult than the little temporary Band-Aids that we put on. But it's the only way we build a 30-year plan. And talk a little bit about this race specifically. It looks like you'll have, uh, I mean, obviously, Mark Luce, the incumbent, and maybe two other opponents uh, on time. The filing deadline has not uh, come and gone yet, so it's still sort of loose. But it looks like there'll be, you know, several people in this race. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be fun. It's going to be, you know, the great thing about it is that we've got some really good candidates in this race. And that, you know, I look at the political process as being almost as important as the election itself. Moving the needle, getting the issues out there, having the discussion, forcing people to take sides, and then letting the people decide what direction they want to go and who's going to get them there. I mean, I think that, you know, we've got great experience in Mark Luce. He's been there for 20 years. He knows this stuff inside and out. He knows every side of every issue. He understands all the all the nuances. I mean, that's something that, you know, that's a large learning curve that I've got to overcome. Uh, I'm willing to do it and, and diving right into it, but it, it's different. And I bring different experiences. I bring outside views, new ideas, ways to, uh, to do things differently. So voters have to look at that, but it's exciting that voters get that choice. You know, and, you know, the important part is for us to get our message out there and let them see, because any way they go, whether it's it's Mark or myself or Ryan Gregory, they've got some great choices. And I think the NAP is the better for it by having gone through the process. Well, Derek Anderson, I thank you so much for coming in. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk more as the campaign winds its way. Absolutely. Still got a long way to go till long next time. June. Long first go round. Thank you so much. so much. Appreciate it. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.